Hello and welcome to Euroactive's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euroactive's Agri-Food News team. So I think our listeners deserve a recap on what happened last week. A recap of the cap. Yeah, also because we published our podcast uh, ahead of the final votes. So they're still waiting for the outcome. We jumped the gun somewhat. Unless they followed our, our final cap down live blog. Like uh, refreshing the, the web page uh, compulsively. <laughs> so in case you were on another planet last week, uh, dr- drum roll please. Uh, MEPs adopted their position on uh, common agricultural policy. So the cap in the end wasn't scrapped. But what does it mean in practice? That the ministers and the parliament's rapporteurs, so the the EU negotiators, uh, will meet again in the next months uh, to find an agreement on a common text. So these meetings are are called uh, trilogues. So you thought it was over, didn't you? (laughs) Not yet, but not yet. Yeah, like like that that song said, don't dream it's over. (laughs) But at the same time, social restrictions could affect the EU agenda, so also the, the CAP agenda. Mm. Uh, of course, due to the worsening situation in Brussels, and uh, for instance, all the EU institutions have decided to scale back physical meetings, while the, the European Parliament will hold the two November's plenary session remotely, again, only remotely, and, uh, and for instance, finding an agreement on the EU long-term budget remains of high priority and, and talks between the Council and the Parliament on this issue are continuing in person and, and will continue in person throughout the November. We don't know yet if there's, there's going to be in-person meetings on the, on the CAP5. So let's see, let's see the development. At the same time, it's interesting to recap uh, again what the two institutions have agreed uh, when it comes to their positions, they, their mandate. So, for instance, in the Council, uh, there were some, uh, some changes in the coverage of conditionality, which is basically, um, you know, the, the, the green conditionality. So, for instance, the, the Council set the ring fencing of uh, 20% of the direct payment budget for the eco-scheme. Eco-schemes are um, a tool to basically deliver the green measures in the new common agricultural policy. And also uh, they set a ring fencing of 30% of rural development funds for climate and environment. The rural development funds is basically the, the so-called second pillar. Um, and it includes also aid for areas with the natural constraints. While the parliament position was a little bit more ambitious on this point because they uh, approved a ring fencing of 30% of direct payments uh, for eco schemes and uh, and also a 35% for green spending in the second pillar. But um, it, it's also interesting that they uh, adopted um, a general revision clause for the common agricultural plans in 2025 uh, to adapt this to climate and environment legislation. So it's uh, uh, offering a possibility to update on the basis on, on how the uh, farm-to-fork strategy, the EU food policy, uh, will be uh, implemented in the coming uh, years. But I'm also sure that our listeners want to know more about the 
infamous veggie burger ban. <laughs> That's all anyone wanted to know last week. And our podcast came just before the the final outcome. So we couldn't even speak about it last week. So yeah, everyone was on tenderhooks wanting to hear the outcome of this um, veggie burger ban, as they were calling it. And also um, this other vote that we had, which was slightly lesser known, but has become more famous since on dairy denominations. So I, I'm guessing most of our listeners will know by now that the uh, the vote banning the idea of having like a veggie burger or a veggie sausage, uh, many of these meat denominations for plant-based um, products did not pass, which means that, you know, we can still, the ban never happened and we can still, people can still um, call these things burgers, sausages, everything else. But there was um, something that passed on dairy denominations. So I think some people this week and lots of people this week have been talking about how there was no veggie burger ban, but there was a, a dairy ban. And it's not entirely exactly what happened. It's not entirely the case because actually this decision on dairy names was decided a few years ago already I think back in 2017 wasn't it Gerardo 2017 exactly 2017 yeah so that was it was already banned actually There's, there was no such thing as a dairy ban this week and um, it was already banned um, but what was decided was that um, what is allowed will be further restricted so uh, basically dairy uh, plant-based products can now can't now say things like dairy like or yogurt like so there was a further restriction on that and you know some people are saying this is a bit of a contradiction that the meat denomination um, ban didn't go ahead but there's a further restriction on dairy denominations so there's been quite a lot of uproar about this um this week plus again we were talking about the position of the European Parliament. Yes. So it wasn't, you know, the final law, let's call it like that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think some people also got a bit confused about what this meant and didn't mean. Um, but obviously this still has to go through the trilogue as you were as you were saying and has to be compromised um, there. So, you know, we'll also see whether that whether the same thing passes there, but this is just the parliament position on the matter. And in other news this week, um, so I think I spoke last week uh, on the podcast about how campaigners were calling um, for the European Commission to look to ban the export of hazardous pesticides to other countries. Two weeks ago, two Was it two weeks ago? I'm losing track of time. Um, but there's people have been kind of calling on the Commission to ban this export of pesticides, which are pesticides that are not allowed in the EU, but they are permitted to be produced here and then exported elsewhere. And so campaigners were calling out this kind of hypocrisy, saying that if they're too hazardous for whatever reason, whether it's for human health or environmental health, if it's too hazardous here, um, then it's too hazardous elsewhere. So they're, they're calling on the commission to do something about this. Um, and this week I followed up with this and spoke to some people and did some digging and did my journalist work um, and uh, spoke to to a source who uh, basically told me that the commission will look to ensure that hazardous chemicals um, including pesticides uh, will not be produced for export from the European Union um, and they added that that you know the commission wants to show coherence in their policies so um, you know they said how can we justify putting the health and environment of others outside the EU at risk um, with products that we don't want to use here. Um, so they're saying that, you know, the Commission really wants to look to have some coherence in their policy there and this kind of outward 
um, looking policy, you know, in the context of the Green Deal and trying to improve sustainability here in the EU. Um, so I also reached out to a commission press officer for a comment about this, um, and they told me that the EU wants to lead by example. Um, in line with their international commitments to ensure that hazardous chemicals uh, that are banned in the European Union are not produced for export and that this includes amending relevant legislation if and as needed. So this is pretty interesting, obviously welcome news for campaigners. But this news might not be received so favorably in other quarters. Um, Previously, in a statement, CropLife International, which is an international trade association of agrochemical companies, um, you know, contested this kind of stance, saying that um, some pesticides that are banned in the EU do have important uses elsewhere. So they kind of maintain that one size does not fit all. Um, The agriculture and pests and diseases are different across different regions and countries. So it'll be interesting to see how this story kind of develops um, and, you know, the reactions to the story kind of in the in the coming days uh, and weeks. I'm sure it won't be the last that we've that we hear about this. And on the topic of this pesticide export um, question, uh, we spoke to Green MEP Jutta Paulus uh, to hear her perspective on the whole issue. Here's what she had to say. When I joined European Parliament last year, I was quite surprised. Frequently, the changement of maximum residue levels for certain pesticides in food was announced, but the pesticides in question were not even legal in the European Union. So I was asking myself, what are those pesticides doing in our our food? Only to find out that these pesticides are legal in other countries and that food from these countries is imported in the European Union. But I was even more surprised to find out that these pesticides are still produced within the European Union and exported to other countries. So I think it is high time that the European Union takes responsibility to proceedings also in other countries because we have only one planet and one environment and one health. Why should pesticides that are deemed too dangerous to be used in the European Union, be produced and exported to other countries. We should take action now and prohibit the export of banned pesticides to other countries on this planet where we all live together as one humanity. But even this uh, externalization of uh, unsustainable practices or export of unsustainable uh, Mm. products it all, it's actually reminds me of a story that I wrote this week. Uh, there was uh, this report uh, being published uh, by is the Concord Aid Watch 2020, which basically surveys how the EU, uh, which is the world's uh, la- largest donor, spends the so-called official development assistance to third countries in the context of its uh, international cooperation, cooperation program. Uh, so basically, um, this report knows that uh, food security will remain a priority in international cooperation, uh, as the increasing hunger is said to be one of the most dramatic indirect consequences of the COVID-19 outbreak, even in countries like uh, Western ba- Balkans, uh, Africa, so basically um, uh, neighbor countries. 
But at the same time, EU donors have displayed contradictory approaches when addressing this matter. Uh, in particular, the EU's external action when it comes to agriculture seems to be heavily designed by the trade deals rather than the overarching green political ambition uh, embedded in the in the Green Deal or, for instance, the core environmental aspects of the common agricultural policy. So this lack of comprehensive green transition strategy in the EU's external action on, uh, on agriculture, of course, uh, according to the, the NGO, reduces the chances of achieving global nutrition security. Um, likewise, the, the report also states that efforts to uh, tighten sustainability requirements in the EU food system so basically the, the implementation of the farm to fork strategy, must be accompanied by policies that help raise standards globally uh, in order to avoid these, again, externalization and export of unsustainable practices, which is quite similar to the issue of, uh, of uh, pesticides. In this case, it's uh, we're talking about farming practices. And it's also interesting that in the council position on the farm to fork that was adopted last week, uh, together with the with the position on the common agricultural policy. The ministers also agreed on uh, a common view on this new uh, EU food policy. And uh, and the farm minister uh, wanted the inclusion of sustainable food systems as an objective of the EU external policies and also the inclusion of specific chapters on sustainable food systems in all new alliances and trade agreement with all the trade partners of the EU. So uh, in news from the Brussels bubble this week, uh, the Green Party have written an open letter to President von der Leyen, urging her to reject the common agricultural policy proposal um, after basically, as we spoke about, the European Council and the European Parliament agreed on their positions last week. Uh, in other news, the European Commission published a report this week, actually two reports that were pretty interesting. The first one um, is on an evaluation of marketing standards. Uh, which found that the EU marketing standards for agri-food products have been effective in establishing a standardised and satisfactory quality, uh, and that they were also very useful for stakeholders. So that's one report. Uh, another report this week from the European Commission was on uh, the evaluation of the cap measures applicable to the wine sector. And this found that the EU's wine policy has played a key role in the sector's transition towards increased competitiveness, innovation and quality. And lastly, the EUB partnership, uh, with support of the European Food Safety Agency, is developing a prototype platform that centralizes and communicates pollinator-related data uh, from various sources. So this is an, in an effort to achieve its main objectives for data integration. And now for the agri-food news from the capitals this week, starting with France, where the Minister of Agriculture, Julien de Normandie, announced that he has raised the level of risk of uh, avian influenza following the detection of the virus last week on two swans in the Netherlands. So France has now moved uh, to reinforce preventive measures in poultry farms throughout the country in a bit to preempt the virus spreading, although the government stressed that it was currently free of avian flu. Farmers blockaded food warehouses belonging to discount supermarkets across Germany. The Basis plus Bauernbewegung, 
which is a, it's a farmer's organization, mobilized to protest the chain's incredibly low food prices. The group demands reasonable and equal standards for everyone in Europe. In the UK, National Farmers Union, NFU, is urging government to provide immediate clarity on how fruit, veg and flower business will be able to recruit seasonal workers next year. The call comes as a new industry-wide survey shows that despite the widely publicized Pick for Britain campaign, UK residents made up only 11% of the workforce this year. In Italy, the government is set to adopt a plan for the management and control of the wild boar populations with the aim of preventing the spread of African swine flu. The proposal does not make substantial changes to the current regulatory system, as controls envisaged are already mandatory, but they must be strengthened for preventing purposes. That's what uh, Italy's Farm Minister Teresa Belanova said. And lastly, uh, we move to Poland, where the Parliamentary Committee on Agriculture gave their backing to the agriculture budget for 2021 without any amendment. Expenditure on agriculture is set to increase by 11.5%, and the draft budget bill for 2021 also provides for expenses of the Agriculture Social Insurance Fund in the amount of roughly 4 billion euros. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractis AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Food, with the technical support of Evi Chiori. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms, so that includes Apple, Amazon, Spotify and Stitcher. I'm Natasha Foote, thank you so much for listening and see you next week. <music>